prayer as well. And if you could remember them in your prayers this week. So let's pray together. Lord, in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are sovereign over everything in our lives and in this world. We know, Lord, as the world is in topsy-turvy mode and so many protests and so many nations against nations, as you prophesied it would be, as there are earthquakes and famines in different parts of the world, as there's even persecution of believers and the, the false uh, teachings and narratives that go out into the world in your name, trying to seduce and, and derail people's faith. Lord, we thank you that you're sovereign, that you have your hands on the seals, and that you have said that the gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth, and then, and then the end will come. And so, Lord, we're thankful that even as we sit in the cusp of uh, very big, deep prophetic events from happening, um, they're happening soon, we know, Lord God, that you are sovereign and that you keep us. As we trust in you, Lord, we pray that today, as we open our Bibles, you would reveal your word to us in a deeper way, in a clearer way, that we'll know what to do, and that is to draw close to our Lord and become fashioned, Lord, into his image We thank you, Lord, that that process will continue until we see him face to face. But, Lord, help us to be engaged in that process of being like Jesus, to love him, to follow him, to love one another in a a deep, sincere way. Lord, we ask you that you help us in our fellowship and our understanding of the scriptures. And, Lord, more than anything, help us to apply it in our lives, that we don't want to be guilty, Lord, of being hearers only. We want to be doers as well. So please, Lord, help us by the power and the presence of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been talking about Galatians for some time now, and like I told you last week, I'm already going to miss the book. We're going to hit chapter 6 today, all the way to verse 5. It's a very short passage today, um, so maybe, maybe we'll get out a little bit early today. Maybe tongue in cheek. If you believe that, then I will have a bridge in Brooklyn that we would like to sell you. But more or less, the passage is short because the depths of it is it's quite quite amazing. It's very short passage. This is the context uh, of Galatians. It's freedom and sonship. We've been talking about freedom and sonship, and ultimately the theme of Galatians is we have. The freedom in Christ, the liberty in Christ. This is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty, as it has been told of the book of Galatians. And it speaks of the freedom in Christ, freedom from the law of Moses and its requirements, freedom from sin because of what Jesus has done for us, not only by delivering us from sin, death, and hell, but also from the freedom, the freedom from the law, the uh, the the demands of the law, we would say. And that has brought upon a sonship, meaning that we have a father now. He is Abba. God is our father, and he has sons. And those sons have to be mature. And the maturity comes to be by walking in the spirit, not just by regulations, not just regulations. And it's wonderful to see how Paul's going to address these issues today because they're very practical. In fact, we're going to talk about very much practical things today and hopefully make sense. Verse 25 of chapter 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. 
Let us now become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such one in spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, lest you be also tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of the Messiah, or the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have a reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one shall bear his own load. And we'll get to the next verse next week. We've been talking about the law, and what Paul says about the law of Moses and the in the middle chapters, chapter 3 and chapter 4, is the dangers of legalism. The dangers of legalism, where your relationship with God is no longer a relationship, but actually a performance-based actual um, legalities and trying to meet the law of Moses and its standards. The, legaliz- uh, the, legal- the, the aspect of legalities, meaning that you only know God by how you perform. You know, here are the rules, here are the, 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 the prescriptions, and you follow it through, then you're okay with God. The law of Moses has 613 commandments, and you have to obey them all. The problem with the Galatians is they were duped. They were becoming, they were coming from one covenant, which is the new covenant, and going into the, back to the old covenant, which is the, the idea of the law of Moses. And you have to take on the whole law of Moses. We've been talking about this for some time. And be and failing at one of those aspects of the law of Moses, failing at one of the commandments, uh, makes you a lawbreaker, makes you a lawbreaker. And Paul makes it clear, if you go back under the law, you are a lawbreaker. In trying to keep some of the law, you actually become a breaker of the whole law. For he who breaks one commandment is guilty of them all. And so Paul pictured this as being bound, being in a cell, being in a... Uh, cooped up under guard. And this is what the law was looked at. It was an idea, it was an image that Paul gives about being under guard, being in bondage. Chapter 5 and chapter 6 deal with something a little bit different. The other aspect of it, when people don't want to have law, regulations, people tend to throw them off. Anarchists love this. You see it all throughout Europe today and even in our own nation. No laws. And anarchists throw off any yoke of law and say, we're going to command our own destiny. We're going to be in charge of our own destiny. We're going to make decisions. I am free. I am the one who's going to make the decisions. And of course, when people throw off the law, they become antinomianists. That's the idea of anti-nomos law. No law. They don't want any law. And therefore, they become a law unto themselves. And this is what Paul is talking about, the dangers of the self-rule and the dangers of sin, rule by sin and rule by self. And he spoke of that by saying, do not be ruled by the old self. He called it the flesh, but I talked about it last week. Don't think of just your physical body. What Paul is relating to it is the, the natural man, your natural um, tendencies apart from Christ, who we are By nature, we inherited that from our parents, how we think, how we behave, how we are, our moral standards by ourselves. That is the flesh. It's not talking about it's bad to have a physical body. It's referring to how we normally would deal with things. This is how we are by nature. 
Don't be ruled by that because, Dad, it's a slippery slope down to moral depravity, licentiousness, a license to sin. Since I don't have to do the law, I can do whatever I want. And I can live however I want. And I am going to make my own decisions and it's going to be my, my own standards. And by many years, I lived that way. And it did feel like that. It's just a, a slippery slope down to oblivion. What Paul says and what the scripture says is, don't be ruled by external laws, external laws, things that are posted on the board. If you come to a church and it says, these are the standards that you need to meet, don't go to that church. Um, not by external rules, not by internal rules where you make your own decisions. But actually, don't be ruled by the outside, don't be ruled by the inside. Be ruled by heaven above. Be ruled by the spirit above. Don't be ruled by laws external. Don't be ruled by the internal flesh, internal decision making. But be ruled by the spirit above. And that's what he ends with in verse 24. We we ended last week. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the old self. It's, It's translated flesh, but just a reminder. It's the old self, our old nature, our old sinful nature, and it's passion in its desires. The law cannot fulfill, uh, I'm sorry, love fulfills the law. Law cannot regulate love. And that's the point of uh, Paul expressing his concern for the Galatians, that they're to love one another because love fulfills the law. And he explains how love works. The nine flavors of love. Remember I talked about the nine flavors of love. It's one fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And it's got nine flavors, and you can see the flavors there, and we're talking about that today. And I told you that there was a fruit that did taste like many fruits, and here it is, Monterosa Deliciosa. I knew there was one. I couldn't remember the name of it. I thought it was uh, this fruit as indigenous to Spain and, and South America has, I think, three or four different flavors. We take a bite, it tastes like pineapple. We take another bite, it tastes like an apple, a banana. It's a wonderful fruit. I think we should have it out here. I don't know if we can get one. But these are the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, singular, is love worked out in those nine different flavors. Now, we have to, in order for the fruit of the Spirit to be manifested in our lives, something has to go. And we talked about that. And people that work on uh, agriculture, they know this very well. For something to grow, something has to be cut. And that is self. Self must go to the cross and be crucified with its passions and its desires. Now, it's speaking, of course, about the natural passions, natural desires that we have, our natural tendency to behave in a certain way, which are sinful because they're not controlled by the Spirit. They're of the flesh. They're of the old nature. And so rather than living by the old nature, Paul says, live by the Spirit. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also follow the Spirit. And it's a walk. And Paul is going to refer to this quite a few times here. A walk. Christianity is not one step, and that's it. It never was, it never will be. It's, people have made it out to be that way. But it's a series of steps. It's a series of steps with God all the way to glory. One step at a time. That is the faith that the Bible describes. Walk by the Spirit. Who is going to decide the next step? The law? Yourself or the spirit, right? Regulations, thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do that. 
because the church said so or the law of Moses said so? Or is it going to be yourself? I don't like those regulations. I'm just going to do it myself. Whatever I feel, I will do. Or is it the spirit working through your mind and working through your conscience by the scriptures, working through every aspect of your life of what to do? And so walk by the spirit. Let the spirit direct your steps. And that's a believer's walk, a decision with the Lord, a decision walking with him as the old flesh is crucified, the old nature is crucified. The new nature walks with the Holy Spirit. Now, all these freedoms, and this is an important thing to remember, all these freedoms are only through Christ, only through Christ. Even after 20, 30 years of walking with the Lord, it is always going to be through Christ not through how well you've done or how well you know things or how much you understood. It is always going to be through Jesus. So let's look at verse 25 more closely. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. When I heard that as a Christian, as a young Christian, I thought, this must be interesting. What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? I thought it's some kind of a, some super spiritual thing that only certain spiritual people can do, super spiritual people can do. And, uh, but I couldn't do it because I was just a young Christian. What, what does that mean? Uh, is it a formula? Is it some kind of thing that you have to do, kind of stand on your head and, and it happens? Or how does it work? Then I realized after some time that walking by the Spirit is really like a relationship, like a relationship, knowing how to please the other person. You who are married, you know how to do that. You who have a relationship with other, other Christians, you know how to do that. Right? You get to know the person and you understand what they like, what they don't like, what pleases them, what doesn't please them. And this is how we walk in the Spirit. You get to experience what pleases God. The Holy Spirit will make that real to you in your mind, in your conscious, a conviction of the Spirit, a leading of the Spirit. And of course, there's always going to be an application to the Bible, an application to Scripture. It's not just some some formula thing, some magic thing that just happens. It says you get to know the Lord by his spirit through the word of God. You'll get to know what, you, what he likes, what he doesn't like. Walk by the spirit. Now look at verse 16 again. But I say to you, walk by the spirit, and, if you, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So that's how we combat the flesh, but it's the same word walk. And this is where uh, the, the study, I guess, sort of begins in a sense of, Two words for walk. Verse 16, walk. Verse 25, walk. And we say, oh, it means the same thing. Is Paul repeating himself? No. There are two different words that Paul is referring to. And this is where I always encourage the study of Scripture. Our English translations can only lead us up to a certain point. Two words for walk in the Scriptures, but it seems one in English. Verse 16, walk by the Spirit, the word. Peripatete means you walk, you, personal, you walk. It's your private walk with the Lord. You walk. It was used of Aristotle's followers and philosophers where they would go around and follow Aristotle. You know who Aristotle was? Okay. The philosopher, Greek philosopher. Okay. And they followed him and they, 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 they did what he did. It was sort of an imitation. They listened to him. They discerned what he was saying. It was a habit of just following Aristotle. So that word was used in the Greek world to just a personal decision to walk and imitate that person. 
And it was that very same thing that Paul is using here. You individually walk. Verse 25, it's not the word peripateta anymore. It is a word that means to march together. It is an all-encompassing word that it does not require one person. It requires y'all. That's it. Texas got it. Y'all. Keep it in step. You can translate it. Let us make our steps by the help and guidance of the Spirit. Let us make our steps and help and guidance of the Spirit. So let's read it again. If we, if we live by the Spirit, let us also make our steps by the help and guidance of the Spirit. It is referring to Christians walking together. And this is going to be quite a challenge. Because the Christian church, the American Christian church, I would say, loves to do verse 16. I'm going to walk by the Spirit. And we all could say amen. Verse 25, not so much. We don't like to walk together with others in the Spirit. Why? Because there are some people that just want to walk alone. There are just some people that love, and the only way that they'll ever walk with the Lord is alone. By themselves, lone wolves. The Bible doesn't speak of those things. The Bible says in order for you to fulfill verse 25, you can't do it alone. You realize that? You cannot do it alone. Can I say it again? You will not be able to do verse 25 alone. Let us walk, march together, guided by the Spirit, keeping in step with one another. It was used of the Roman legion. To stand together, one solid unit, and move forward against the enemy. So one side is dealing with you walk together. The inner part, uh, the, the, inner, the inner relationship with the Lord. Our worship, our dedication to God, our relationship with him. Verse 16. Verse 25 deals with learning to walk together with other Christians. This is an important thing. We need to learn to walk together with other Christians. Because there are many that feel like this is not something that they ought to do. They are better off by themselves. And we need to learn to walk together, not as individuals, not just in your own private walk with the Lord, but as together, as going into battle. The Christians are, the imagery that the Bible uses, especially Paul uses the church or believers as soldiers, soldiers, especially in Timothy. You are a soldier, but you're not a lone soldier. You're not alone. You have others who are called soldiers. It is like an army, an army advancing forward against the evils of the day, each and every day. We walk together, and in order for you to walk together, you have to make adjustments. Has anyone here... Um, got on a walk with other people. Just, so, just okay. It's not sometimes not. It's not very easy, huh? Because they have different strides. Some short strides, some longer strides, and somebody has to adjust. Somebody has to do it. My wife likes to walk very, very fast. I like to go for a walk. If I wanted to go for a run, I would go for a run. That's what I tell her. But it's a walk, so I have to adjust my stride. Guess what? And the same thing in the spirit. You have to adjust to other believers. (gasps) But pastor, they don't know how much I know. They don't know what I know. 
I can't wait for them. They're slowing me down. And there's many who believe that and many who talk like that and many who ought not to do that. To walk together, adjust your stride, fellowship and facing the enemy like an army. Let the Spirit lead you on how to do that. See, I'm not going to give you a book of regulations to say, okay, you do this by A, B, C, D, E. That would be easy, right? I just have to follow this formula. How are, to, how, to, how are we to adjust our stride with others, to walk with others? It has to be by the Spirit. The Spirit has to show you how to do it. That's why it's not law. It's Spirit. Right? You'll be able to walk together with other Christians. Be part of an army advancing against the enemy. Advancing against the enemy, the devil, in a corporate way. Christians, you are on duty. Christians, you are on duty. Be part of the army. And it's going to be very active, uh, very interesting how Paul is going to address the issue of the army here. It's not just a personal battle with your flesh, but it's a corporate battle against the enemy. Amen. It has to be a corporate battle with the enemy. Don't be a lone wolf. If you have a hard time walking with other Christians, the problem might not be them. The problem might not be them. <gasps> there, that's it. Not coming back. Verse 26, let us, become, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Why is it so important? Jesus summed it up this way. The whole law and the prophets summed up in a very, very clear, short statement. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as you love yourself. It was interesting. This was very uh, part of the Jewish culture. The, 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 the rabbis of the day, even before that, We'll have some of these, uh, these questions. They would ask each other questions all the time, and they would, they would challenge their students. The rabbis would. they say, sum up the law in, a short, in short sentences. Give me the whole entire aspect of the law and just give it to me in a short, concise version. And they would have this game where they would make the person stand on one leg and have them like, basically tell the rabbi what they actually felt the entire the entirety of the law and the prophets were in one short sentence. And if they could do it before their leg gave out, then they passed. It was sort of a, sort of a Jewish game. I guess you can try that with your kids next time. But it was just a way to get them to think in concise terms. What is the law and the prophets about? Jesus said two things. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we're to do that, to love God. And I found people can love God very easily. I found people can love God very easily. Now, they might just say it, but they, they say it. it's not that hard. Why? God's very loving, is he? He's wonderful. The more you know him, the more you love him. He's faithful. He's good. You're going to love God. He is awesome, trustworthy. It does take faith, but you can learn to love God. And how could you not love God? He's so good. And we don't have a problem with that. Help thy neighbor. Well, who is our neighbor, Jesus said? Anyone is in need. Anyone who's in need. And I find that the Christians have a hard, they don't have a hard time with this one because it doesn't require involvement. You can go down in the street and love thy neighbor. You can give out food, a gift, a love, do some kind, an act of kindness to someone. And because you don't have to be involved, you can just leave them there and go on with your day. And, and, they, and they do that. People like, like to do that. And they say, I love my neighbor. But is that the only people Jesus ever told us to love? Love God and love thy neighbor. There's another one. We forget this one. 
Speaking to his disciples in the book of John chapter 13. Love one another. Speaking to the 12. You must love one another. That's the third. Jesus told us to love three individuals. Love God. Love your neighbor. Anyone in need. And love other Christians. And I find that the third one is the one that Christians failed at the most. Your silence is reassuring. We can love God. He's lovable. He's wonderful. He's awesome. We can love our neighbor. My neighbor's in need and go across the street, maybe help them build a fence, help them them do whatever they need to do. Not involved. But for Christians, to love other Christians is something else. First of all, you didn't choose them to become Christians. God did. It's not like you picked them. People have a hard time with that. Oh, I, don't, I just don't like them. I just don't like the way they are. Why do they have to be Christians? <laughs> well, thank God it wasn't your choice, wasn't it? They are Christians. And you have to live with them on earth. It's wonderful to think that one day all of us in, in eternity will be right with the Lord. Finally. Perfect. It'd be good to get along. But that's not what we're talking about. It's on earth. And living on earth you have to deal with their old nature as well as they have to deal with your old nature. And this is where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Jesus didn't say, okay, pick the ones you like. You 12, pick the three that you like the most. Yeah, go on and love each other there. And you three, you get along pretty well. Love, just love each other there. Leave those other guys alone that you don't like. Jesus never made it that way. He said, you 12, love each other. And he'll say to the church here today, you, all of you, love each other. Well, how are we going to do that? By the Spirit. And he's going to give us some very practical advice in a moment. We're to love one another. But why is it so hard? Anybody have any ideas? Why is it so hard to love other Christians? Most of them aren't. Well, we won't talk about that one. (laughs) I'm talking about Christians. So let's just put aside that and talk about Christians, right? Why is it so hard? Because we don't believe they're Christians. That's not a good idea. Why Why is it so hard? Personalities, the flesh, because sometimes we irritate each other. Sometimes we irritate each other, and that is, you can't, that's true, right? And you can't get away from them because they're Christians. And they're here next week, and you're here next week. And they might be irritating. God knows I might irritate some people here today, but that's, but you have to love me, and I have to love you back. And that's the reality, because fellowship and church, uh, being part of a church, being part of a, of a fellowship, it's not like being part of a club. And what I mean by that is you can always resign your club. You could always say, I don't want to pay the dues anymore, and I'm out of here. And many people treat fellowship, family, relationship with Christians like a club. I'm just going to resign from the club. I don't want to be a part of it. But you have to learn to walk with each other, though. You have to learn to walk with each other. And if you treat it like a club, yeah, you're going to resign. If you treat it like a club that you're just a member of and not a family and not a fellowship. Uh, by the way, you, you join a club out of your own convenience. We don't join a fellowship out of convenience. We join a fellowship because that's where God calls us to be. Okay, so God wants us to be a family, not a private club. And it says to love one another. And the world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. You say you love God, the world says, ah, I don't believe in him. 
It doesn't really matter to the world when you say you love God. They don't believe in him anyway. I love my neighbor. They do the same thing. Some of them are very nice to their neighbors, actually do good things to them. But the one that they cannot figure out is when Christians have genuine love for one another. Why? You know, because we're not of the same race. We're not of the same background. We're not of the same culture. We're not of the same age. And yet they look at it and they say, ha, look at that. It's amazing. They actually get along and love each other despite all their differences and things that are obviously different. And this is why Satan makes us the highest priority is to disrupt Christian fellowship and love. Have you noticed that? It is one of his highest targets and priority to disrupt and to attack fellowship that loves one another. And I've seen ministries go down the same road. I see organizations go down the same road. And the same thing happens even in missionary organizations where they're to love one another. And missionaries don't get along. It's one of the hardest things to think about. Missionaries do not get along. Well, you come to church and you realize Christians don't get along. So what are we to do? Two sections here that Paul is going to address. Verse 25 and 26 deal with what not to do. Three things that you ought not to do, because if you do them, you'll be out of step with other Christians. You'll be out of step with other Christians. You want to be out of step with other Christians? Do verse 26. The second section, chapter 6, verse 1 through 5, simple. What to do in practical terms to be in line and step with other Christians. So let's read what not to do. Verse 26, don't be boastful. Don't challenge one another. Envy in one another. Three ways to get out of step. All rooted in one simple word, pride. Some people like to walk alone. Not good. Some people like to be by themselves. Not good. This spoils fellowship, by the way. This spoils the fellowship. One Christian in a fellowship that just stands off can create some rifts. A handful of them, now you have a big division, right? One, remember a little leaven, leaven's a whole lump. Paul told us that just a few chapters earlier. One Christian that stands alone becomes to create a rift. A handful of them, you have a big division now. And that church will be distracted from what the Lord called them to be. They'll be all about putting fires that's all they'll do, put out fires and, and put away uh, and, and try to deal with always patching up things and putting out fires. That's all the church will ever become because of disruptions caused by believers that do not walk, that don't know, do not want to walk together with other believers. And this is what happens. Pride at its core, the sin that's rooted, all sins are rooted in this. The deadliest of the sin, in my opinion, the one that took down Satan. God hates and abominates, and it's an abomination to him, pride. But how does this happen? How does this happen? By the way, in the, uh, uh, Christianity is the one religion, if you want to call it a religion, that actually looks down at pride. All other religions exalt pride and say, you have to become this, and you have to do this, and you have to become that. Christianity says, nope, humility, humility. Three ways. Three ways pride gets in the way. Let's not become boastful. So when we are dealing with walking together, walking together, we have people that become boastful. They become like this. They get out of step with walking with other Christians by their superiority complex. You heard the inferiority complex? 
the superiority complex we don't hear too much about because most people that have it don't believe they do. Um, <laughs> that's true. You know too much. You're better than the rest. We, I am being stymied. I'm being, I'm being uh, suffocated because I am far above superior than all these other Christians. And instead of walking together, they get out of step by walking. They want to walk ahead of other Christians because they feel that they should be ahead, right? And this can be done in every organization. This can be done in the secular world. I've seen it. I've spent lots of time in the organizational meetings and in corporate world, as well as in the church. This could happen to gifts, giftings, giftings. Now think about this. In the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, talks about the spiritual gifts. They're called uh, charismatic gifts because the word charis there is the word for grace. They are gracious gifts from God, meaning that you did not receive them because you were so good and so kind and so lovely. It was God's gift to you. And because it is a gift, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the body. But then Christians can become so arrogant about their gifting, even though they didn't get them from themselves. They actually got them as a gift. They actually can become arrogant on their gifting and actually look down upon others who don't have as many or the same gift. And it's quite interesting. They believe that they're better than other people because they can sing better. They believe they're better than other people because they can teach better. They believe they're better because they can prophesy. They believe that they're better because they can speak in tongues. And they believe they're better because of X, Y, Z, whatever reason. And they go on and they get out of step with other Christians. Remember, it is a march together. You walk together in unison against the enemy. But if one believes, you guys are too slow. And he walks ahead. And if you've seen any um, movies or, or know anything about battlefields and things like that, there's now an opening. There's an opening now in that rank. There's a hole. Somebody has left their post. And now that position becomes weak because now that person has gone ahead and does not want to get in step with other Christians. You could even be proud of your holiness. You could even be proud of your humility. You could even be proud of your humility. I, I heard one time a pastor says, this is the best message I ever preach, how to be humble. The best message I ever preach, how to be humble. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. Literally, I didn't buy it. But a spiritual pride is one of the worst things that can happen. Instead of saying, these gifts have been given to me by God graciously, and it's for you, it's for the body. They say, no, they're for me, and I'm going to use them as a weapon now <laughs> to get ahead of other Christians. And it becomes, the next, uh, the next uh, uh, statement that Paul says, you challenge one another. Challenging. Another aspect of it, you can translate the word to provoke one another or to rival one another. Believers are not seen as believers anymore. They're not seen as brothers. They're not seen as sisters in the Lord. They are seen as rivals. Rivals. And it should never be done, this competition thing, among elders, among pastors, among teachers, among believers. I've seen it. It's gross, sick, disgusting. People that become rivals instead of brothers. It becomes a competition now. And they put that stuff, um, you know, they, 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 they become basically rivals in the church, and it causes division, right? 
you're challenging people rather than encouraging people. And when a person becomes like that, imagine, again, you're marching together. Now this person, it's provoking, it's irritating, their rivals are challenging others, and people don't want to be around that person. And now the fellowship becomes divided. And that rank and file, that, 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 that fellowship that it's marching on against the enemy now has various gaps in its front line because people are being irritated by other individuals who are challenging them. Now, the third one that we see here, and by the way, this, is, this would be a good picture of ministry, what not to do. Brothers and sisters fighting and arguing, challenging one another. But the next one, Paul says, it's quite interesting. Envy in one another. Envy in one another. Saying that I am better than you. Or you believe that that person is better than you, right? And this person is more gifted. This person is more qualified. And so in a prayer meeting, I'm not going to pray. Because this guy is really good. You know, he, he prays really well, so I'm not going to pray. Let him pray. Well, he's a good teacher. I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to be shown up. You know, he's a better teacher. Let, let him teach. And now the person or, or people, Christians, become now, it's, it's, the, it's the inverted aspect of it. Now they don't want to do it because there's an envy toward the person who's gifted, to the person who's uh, more gifted than you. And then you don't want to do it because you don't want to be shown up that you don't know how to do it. Or your gifting is lesser than that person. You're not as mature as that person. So that individual now backs out of doing what they're supposed to be doing. Again, go back to the marching with the Lord together. So we have the the person that goes ahead. Then you have the person that irritates others. And then you have the people that don't want to do anything because there are others who are more gifted. And pastor, you let them do it then. Because I'm not going to do it because um, I have a single talent. And that person has five. And I'm going to use my single talent because he has five. And since he has five, he should do it. And so it doesn't get done. Right? A person will lag and the person will fall behind. Again, is the issue of envy and rivalry. Pride. Right? A pride that can take you ahead. A pride that can repel other Christians in a pride that you can fall behind because you don't want to do the work because you believe other people are more gifted than you. and You let them do it since they're more gifted. All that has to do with pride, let pride die. By the way, all those things that we talked about is something that the law produces. The law produces pride. If you want to adhere to the law, you want to perform the law, then it's a, it's a form of pride. I want to do it. I've done it. Look how good I am. And it actually creates this a cut above others uh, personality. We're not like that. You're going to envy others. And certainly, we're going to go in different directions. So instead of the church marching together in the spirit, one direction, one heading toward the cross, we have multiple Christians going in their own directions. They want to get ahead of others. They irritate others. And others fall behind because they feel less gifted. Envy, rivalry, and pride. Boastfulness. And this is what the law produces. Unfortunately, I hate to say this, but this is what I I see a lot in American churches. This is the product 
in a lot of places in American churches. I'm not saying it's everywhere, but I'm saying it's in a lot of places. The idea of rivalry is promoted. The idea of envy, it's let, it's, it's allowed to continue. And of course, the idea that some people, you know, since they're more gifted, they should do the work. And others go ahead of them. And there's never a call for, okay, let's adjust to our walk with the Lord together. Let's not get ahead. Let's not irritate. And whoever's falling behind, we need to adjust to that stride. So those who are less mature and less gifted can actually walk together with those who are more gifted and more mature. But how do we do that? I'm glad you ask. Because Paul is going to ask about, or he's going to tell us about responsibility. Oh, that terrible word. Awful word, responsibility. In an age where, you know, we demand our rights and entitlement, this comes across very hard sometimes, doesn't it? Even if, we're, even if we don't buy into the world, it creeps into the church and the mentality of, of Christians. We have responsibility. By the way, in marriage, you have responsibilities. In marriage, you don't have rights. You have responsibilities. And I, I, I love to say this. I love to counsel, but in my counseling, it's always not about what your rights are, because that's what people want to hear. Pastor, what are my rights? He's not doing this. Pastor, what are my rights? She's not doing that. He says, you don't have any. You have responsibilities. And the husbands, it's a lot longer than the wives. Have you noticed that? We have a man's meeting tomorrow? Yeah, okay. We'll talk about that. No. Uh, so if you want to get married, if you're single and want to get married, consider that. Responsibility. What are the responsibility? Well, look at verse 1. Brethren, if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, each one looking out, for your, uh, looking out to yourself, lest you to be tempted. You have, because of the Holy Spirit, and as you're walking with the Spirit, He will show you that you have responsibility. And this is the fruit of the Spirit being lived out, right? As you live in the Spirit, you're also to walk in the Spirit. You live in the Spirit. It's that inner relationship, walking with the Lord, your worship, right? But now he says, you live in the Spirit, in verse 25. Now you got to walk in the Spirit. Guess what, believers? You are going to put it into action. It's one thing to say, I love to live in the Spirit. Me and the Lord are wonderful together. We get along just fine because he's so wonderful. I'm not, but he is. He, you know, his wonderfulness overshadows my lack of it. However... It's not just to live in the Spirit. We're also to walk in the Spirit. And that requires you putting the fruit of the Spirit into action. What are we to do? Three ways. Three ways. The fruit of the Spirit in operation. You ever watch that movie, Saving Private Ryan? Remember that movie, Saving Private Ryan? Okay. War movies are like that. But you could imagine. I could imagine this in my head when I, when I thought about that movie. When they, you know, the movies, they go out and find that person, right? They all go out and find Private Ryan. They go out and get him because he's lost. They need to get him back. But in the process of the movie, maybe other war movies will tell you the same thing. When a soldier is down, what do you do? You pick him up. Somebody takes that spot. Somebody covers him. They all gather together and take him out of the battlefield and rescue him. That's what Paul is referring to here. If a man is caught in trespasses, help him. Help them. 
If a man slips up, and the idea here is caught in trespasses, is, is a sudden. It's not something that is like the work of the flesh, where that person lives in the work of the flesh and thrives in the works of the flesh. This is someone that slipped. This is somebody that fell. This is somebody that it happened to them. He went too far. By the way, it happens to Christians. It could happen to you. It could happen to me. We're not safe until we're in glory with the Lord. We're not safe until we're in glory with the Lord. Any one of us can be caught in this, this temptation to slip up. What should a Christian do? This is what I normally hear. I'll tell you what I normally hear. Let's pray about it. Let's tell the pastor. Let's tell the elders. Let's tell someone else. What does Paul say? You who are spiritual, restore. You do it. Isn't it interesting? He says, don't pray about it. That'll be our natural tendency, isn't it? Well, is that brothers and knees? It's kind of falling off. I don't know, brother. Should I pray about this? Don't pray about it. Go get them. <laughs> Go find her. Somebody do something. Well, I'm waiting for the pastor to tell me what to do. Let the Spirit lead you and tell you what to do. You follow the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is telling us, highlighting this. Go get them. Restore them. Meaning prop them up. Those who are mature, right? Now, when the person slips up, you don't do what sometimes happens. Gossip about it. Put it on Facebook. Things like that, right? If somebody falls, don't, don't talk about it in next week's message. If somebody falls, don't do that. If somebody falls, you who are mature, go pick them up. And you have to do it how? Gentleness. What's one of the fruit of the Spirit? Gentleness. You're putting the fruit of the Spirit into action in your own life. You're allowing the Holy Spirit through the reading of the Scriptures and the leading of the Spirit in your own life to do what He says to do. Restore them in gentleness. Help them up. Help them up. Don't do it with, don't do it with pride, it says. Looking out to yourself, lest you also be tempted. Do it in humility, knowing that by the grace of God, if not for the grace of God, that would be you. Do it with gentleness. Do it with humility. Why? It could be you. What's another fruit of the Spirit? Kindness, goodness, gentleness, right? Humility. You are applying the fruit of the Spirit into your own life by doing something very practical. The way Jesus restored people, how the way he, Jesus restored Peter, the way he restored that woman caught in adultery. There are things that happen to individuals. And by the way, they will happen. They will happen because we have an old nature. We have an old nature that wants to battle against the Spirit, and sometimes a Christian falls. And that person needs another Christian to pick him up and prop him up. Who are to do it? The pastor? The elders? That's right. You who are more spiritual. Well, I'm not spiritual, so I'm not going to do it. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that you who are walking in the Spirit, which we all say, yes, I need to walk in the Spirit, that's the spiritual person. The person who walks in the Spirit are to go and restore and prop up that person. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of the Messiah. They are Christians who are overwhelmed. The word borrows, burden, and crushing weight, a crushing weight upon a person. Life is tough. It is difficult, and it's getting more difficult. So I was a Christian 1995 till now. I've seen more Christians burdened. I was in the corporate world for some time, 
and we had to always read articles and go to meetings and, you know, no burnout kind of thing. And in Christian circles, it's the same way. Christians are overloaded. We have uh, different things, different uh, things are happening in our world, different family issues and pressures and things of that nature. It carries, some Christians carry too much weight, too much weight. And I'm not talking about holiday weight. I'm talking about burden. I'm talking about a burden, right? Practical needs. Bear one another's burdens. This is very practical. How can you help? You see that there's no regulation on this. This is how you do it, ABC. How are you to do it? Let the Spirit guide you on how to do that. You see a brother under heavy weight, under crushing weight of pressure. What is the question? How can I help? Is there anything I can do to help? Please let us know if there's anything we can do to help. You guys often heard us say that, right? If there's anything we can do, what's going on? How you doing? What's going on? Is there anything we can do? We texted Tony. Tony, is there anything we can do? Nope, it's fine. Good. All right. Let us know. Is there anything we can do? Are you bearing a crushing burden upon yourself, right? It's a lovely thing. It's a wonderful thing when Christians come alongside other Christians who are bearing that weight and help each other. Very practical. Thus you fulfill the law of Christ. Again, not the law of Moses, but the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? We're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of the Messiah. The law of Christ is fulfilled when you love and care for one another because that's what he did for us. He bore our sins. He bore our burdens. He took care of our needs. Even when we were his enemies, he loved us and died for us. We are to fulfill that the same way. The book of James calls it the royal law or the law of the spirit or the law of love. Those are not the law of Moses. It's a higher law. It's a higher law. What do you mean a higher law? Well, I'll put it to you this way. Maybe you understand it from this perspective. Jesus, the law of Moses says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, don't lust. Which one is easier to do? The law of Moses. <laughs> Feel the law of Moses. Law of Christ, higher law. The law of Moses says, you need to give percentages. Here's the formula. Boom, 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 boom. Percentages goes to the temple, to the priest and all that stuff. There's no law like that in the New Testament. Jesus just says, give. Be generous. Right? It's a different law. Now, it's not a requirement of percentages. It's now an issue of generosity and being uh, uh, the kindness and generosity that the, work is, the Lord is working in your life. Right? There's no law against that. It's simply a higher law, a higher law. Sometimes people say, should I just give 10%? This is the question. You have 10%? Well, what does the Lord say to do? Sometimes 10% would be less for a lot of Christians. It would be too, too little for some Christians, maybe too much for other Christians. You see the, see the point? In some cases, 10% would be too much for other Christians or too little for other Christians. Let each one give according to what they decided with the Lord. But do it cheerfully. Do it generously. Otherwise, don't do it at all. It's the law of Christ. Responsibility. But you also have responsibility, verse 3, for yourself. You have a responsibility to others. Now you have a responsibility to yourself. For anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work. 
Then he'll have a reason for boasting in regard to himself and not in regard to another, for each one must bear his own burdens. Look at verse 3. If pride jumps in, if pride jumps in all of a sudden, you're helping other people, and pride jumps in, and now you say, ooh, I'm so good I did it. feel good about that. I knew I helped out that guy, and man, I'm just going to let everybody know about it. If pride jumps in, right? And, and by the way, this is, again, the law. This is the idea of the law. Paul talked about it earlier. You who desire to be under law. You know who loves to be under law? Your old self. Your old nature loves regulations and laws and things to accomplish. Why? Why does your old self love formulas and regulations and step one, step two, and step three and accomplishments? What does it do? Yeah. Oh, I'm super, super Christian. Look at that. 10 out of 10. Handed it to the pastor next week. I fulfilled 10 out of 10. There's a, it's a boastful pride. It causes this. Well, that guy only did seven. I should preach next week. I did 10. That guy did five. And you should kick that guy out of the church. He only did one. You know, it becomes a rivalry thing. It becomes a, he's not, I am. The law does that. The law and the flesh just loves to be in pride. The, law, the, the, the flesh just loves to be puffed up, even in what the things that we ought to do, and the good things we ought to do. Verse 3, if anyone thinks him, uh, think he's something, oh, you did this, oh, wonderful. Actually, Paul says, you're nothing. You're nothing, as Paul says. And you're actually deceiving yourself, thinking that this is of the Spirit. The idea of the gospel is humility, isn't it? Humility. Even the baptism that, that you, we go through in baptism and, 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 and as we walk with the Lord, first step of obedience, baptism, water baptism. It's again a lowly process. You go down. The gospel brings you down. And then you go into baptism and it brings you down again. <laughs> and then what comes out is the new man and newness of life. The gospel is different than the law. The law tends to puff you up because of what you have accomplished. The gospel says it's not of you. It'll never be of you. It'll always be of the Spirit. It's for your benefit, and it's for the glory of God. And that is not the law. That is the gospel. And that's why our flesh fights against the gospel, because we want to be seen as, I did it. I've done it. I've accomplished it. Look at me. I did it. And we don't talk like that. I know we don't, but we certainly behave like that. I'm not saying you and I, but I'm saying we have that tendency to, and that's, so what are we to do when that starts bubbling up? Crucify the old nature, Paul says. Crucify it. Go back again to verse 24 with its passions and desires. I desire to, I desire to be seen in church. I desire to have some kind of place in church. Kill it, man. Kill it. Kill that desire. Kill that passion. I tell people, you don't want to be that. (laughs) You don't want to have a target on you all the time and be the brunt of criticism all the time. If God called you to do it, do it. If not, don't do it. Verse 4, but let each one of you examine his own work. Why? And this is again, Paul's, as, as we finish, Paul's going to switch it back to this. Going back to the thinking. You're marching together as a Christian. You have responsibility to others. Now you have a responsibility to watch out for yourself. That responsibility is to say there are some who should be doing more, 
but are not. They should be doing more, but are not. Let each one examine his own work. The Holy Spirit is guiding you to do that work. What is that work that he's calling you to do within the fellowship, within the marching together, right? We're marching together, walking with the Spirit together. There are some Christians who don't want to do anything. Let each one examine his own work. It's what the Holy Spirit telling you to do. Is that what you're doing today, right? If he's working in you, if he's working in and through you, then Paul says you have a, a reason to boast. This is the right boasting. Paul boasted about the cross, about his chains, about the Lord. There's a good boasting. The good boasting has to do with Christ. What has he done in you and through you? And it's that what's being done in your own life. Then you have a reason to boast. Why? Because there are some who need to examine their own work. Maybe there are other Christians who are being taxed and burdened because nobody else wants to do it. And God says, examine your own work. Are you doing enough? Are you doing enough? And look what Paul says in verse 5. But each one shall bear his own load. That word load there, you can look it up on your own in the Greek language. Wonderful study. It's the word for backpack. It's the word for backpack. We were translated backpack. It was the Greek idea of carrying like a kickback, like a, like a backpack. Like you're a soldier and you go. If you get into the army, if you've been in military, you are... You're giving this package. You carry it. You take it with you. It's for combat. And you carry certain things in that backpack. But you don't carry it at all. If you've been in combat, if you've been in the army of any sorts, if you're carrying heavy equipment, what happens? Each soldier gets to carry a certain weight of that equipment. It's never put on one person. That person would die. He'll never get across the other line. It will put everybody in jeopardy because you'll fall behind. The weight is distributed among all the army personnel. You carry a backpack. I carry a backpack. You carry a backpack. He carries a backpack. Everybody good? But I don't want to carry a backpack. Then somebody else is going to have to carry that bag. And somebody else will be burdened by the fact that you don't want to walk together with the Lord with us. Somebody else is going to have to carry. Somebody else is going to be burdened. Somebody else is going to have to be helped. Somebody else is going to have to be left behind. Hopefully not. Hopefully we get them back into the march, but somebody else could be burdened by this. And therefore, Paul says, if you're not carrying your bag, it's designed for you by the Lord. has your name on it. If you don't want to carry the bag, somebody in the fellowship will have to carry it for you. And that's what Paul says. Examine your own work. Is what the Holy Spirit telling you to do? Is that what is being done today? Are you refusing that backpack that the Lord is wanting to put on you? His burden is easy. His yoke is light, right? He is humble. He will give you what to carry, and you'll carry it by his spirit, but you have to carry it. You have to carry. And so here's a fellowship. Here's a fellowship where Christians have responsibilities. They can take pride in the work of the Lord. They can rejoice in what's being done. It's not about comparison, right? It's about what the Lord is being done in and through that person so that when that person delivers or he's delivered into eternity, the Lord can say, well done, good and faithful servant. You carry your bag. Yeah, it'd be like that. It'd be just awesome, like drop to our knees. We 
carry, you carried your bag. You carry the load. You helped other burdens. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. But that would be a wonderful church, wouldn't it? It would be a wonderful church if everyone carried their own bag. There was no rivalry, nobody getting ahead, nobody falling behind out of envy, nobody irritating one another, everyone picking up the weak, those who have fallen off. Right? Those who have fallen off, you pick them up. Uh, carry others' burdens because they're loaded with burdens. Be a wonderful church. Every member's active. Everybody got their own bag. Where is that church so we can go join it? Well, I'll put it to you this way. It will be wherever Christians are walking together in the Spirit. Wherever Christians are walking together in the Spirit, that's what that fellowship would look like. The opposite is true also. Envy, rivalries, getting ahead, irritating, not carrying your bag, right? Being against those who have more gifting, right? Irritation, not taking care of the weak. That is a church that is walking with or walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. So this is what the Lord said. This is what the Lord, he wants us to be, how we ought to be. Lord, forgive us for what we are not. But thank you that you can make us what we ought to be. He can make us what we ought to be. What does it require? For you and I to enter into that arena of walking together in the Spirit. Not alone, together. We may have to adjust. I don't do so well with adjustments. It's so easy by myself. It's so easy in my own room. It's so easy just being hibernating in there. Don't have to talk to other Christians. But that's not what God made us to be. And definitely that's not what the Scripture says. Walk together in the Spirit. Love one another. And by love, you fulfill the whole law. Not challenging one another, not envying one another, but, and not definitely, not become boastful, but loving one another. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, in your kindness and mercy, Lord, we thank you for every good and perfect gift that you give to us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood of your son, the Lord Jesus, who cleanses us from all sin. We thank you, Lord, that in you we have all things for life and godliness. Through the scriptures, we have all things for us to know. So thank you, Lord, for what you pointed out today. Thank you, Lord, that I feel it's a very important message for every one of us to hear, to heed, and to do. That we're to walk together. Lord, forgive us for being maybe out of step with others. Forgive us, Lord, for being offstandish from others. Forgive us, Lord, for not wanting to walk with others and thinking that it would be better by ourselves. Lord, that's not your will. That's not your intention. But Lord, please make us what you want us to be. Please make us humble, gentle. Please make us, Lord, like Jesus. That when he was the King of kings and Lord of lords walking on the earth, and he still is, 
He helped. He carried our burdens. He carried our sins. He walked with us. He adjusted his stride, as we would say, to, so that we can catch up, so that we can walk together with him. Lord, forgive us if we're not willing to do that because you did it for me. You adjusted so that I can walk together with you. Lord, please help us to see the needs in the body, those that are in need today of, of practical help. Lord, those who, would need to, those who are in need of just somebody picking them up and propping them up and encouraging them. Lord, those who are overloaded with burdens, overloaded with things in their lives, and they haven't been able to talk to anyone, no one's approached them, no one has helped them to pray for the situation. Lord, please help us to do that. And Lord, and we pray that we would look at our own lives and examine our own work to see if that's the work of the Spirit or has it become law. And Lord, and if we're not carrying our bag, please help us to put it back on today. In Jesus, our Lord, amen.